0: So all of the work that you're putting in, all of the, you know, tough times and the struggles and all the modeling that you're doing for your own children, it pays off. So I just want you to know that it does pay off. (laughs) It's just hard sometimes when you're in the midst of it all to see it. Mama!
1: Let's reimagine mom life together. Mama House Schools is your hub for relatable support and helpful resources that help you fuel yourself alongside motherhood. Your identity is bigger than mom, and whatever your goals are, together, we're making them a reality. If you've been following my story for a little bit, you may know that it really started for me after I woke up in the emergency room questioning what story I would leave behind. And when I saw this guest's second book on purpose featured, it really brought me back there the idea of living a life by design, the idea of living on purpose. And our guest today, Tanya Dalton, we're going to get into all of her credentials and her background. But beyond that, she's an amazing mother. She's an amazing leader. She's just an amazing woman. And she really helps anyone lead a life for themselves and their circle and their family of on purpose. She also talks about what it means to be present and not missing out. She's actually been social media free for her business for some time now. She talks about how you step into cathedral thinking. What does that mean to think about the future destination and wayfinding to get you there? What does it mean to be a multi-passionate person and how to really get clear on where it is that you want to go? And how can you habit stack for success and allow yourself to create habits in your own life, in your kids' lives, and lead by example? What it means to be a coach for your children outside of being mom and how they overlap and how they're different. In addition to our conversation, I do want to tell you some of the things about Tanya because she is truly such an amazing person. like I said, an amazing mom, a leader for moms as well as business owners. She's a best selling author, motivational speaker, and a nationally recognized productivity expert. She helps executives and entrepreneurs step into purposeful leadership. Her books have been translated into eight languages around the world. Her first book, The Joy of Missing Out, was named a top 10 business book of the year by Fortune Magazine. Her podcast, The Intentional Advantage, has received millions of downloads from listeners all over the world. She's also a featured expert on several networks, including NBC, Fox, and a VIP contributor to entrepreneur.com and Forbes.com. Tanya is considered a thought leader in purposeful productivity and leadership by some of the world's leading publications, including Forbes, Inc., Fast Company, and Real Simple. She is also the founder of Inkwell Press Productivity Company, and that is a multi million dollar company providing tools that work as a catalyst in helping people do less while achieving maximum success, including planners and some of your favorite retailers. These tools, Tanya's leadership, It truly helps any mom, business owner, achieving woman really be more productive and live a life on purpose. I can't wait to tap into this episode. Tanya, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for being here. One of my favorite things about seeing your content, we're going to dive into all the different things, but you have led, by example, as a mom yourself with children that are now in high school and college and really lived a life on purpose for yourself. And then now all the women that you help and your kids have been able to see you do this. So I just want to thank you for being an inspiration for me and the moms that are watching you crush it and kill it and also helping other women along the way. My favorite thing is when people step into their power and lo- use their own learnings and their own life to lead others and create magic for your own life through tools and leadership and everything you do. So, just thank you for doing that and thank you for being you.
0: Well, thank you so much for saying that. You know, it's it's such an interesting point of motherhood when you have kids in high school and in college because you feel like all of that work you did in the trenches, you know, with all the, all of the heart, really, really tough stuff when they're little. And then you're going through junior high and all of that. And there are days where you feel like, oh my gosh, is this worth it? What am I doing? What did I get myself into? And you get to this point where they're really starting to, with my daughter who's in high school, she's just starting to get a lot more independent and she's kind of spreading her wings. And then with my son, who's in college, like somewhat, adulting, we won't say full adulting yet, but it's amazing to see all of that work, that investment that you put into your kids to see it come to fruition. You know, there was this moment when I dropped my son off at school his freshman year. So, you know, we had done the convocation, we'd moved him into his dorm room. We're outside of his dorm room and we're about to leave to drop him off at college. And I'm doing my best not to cry. My daughter's doing her best not to cry. My husband's like keeping it together and I'm hugging my son. And he's been my nervous Nelly growing up. I always say, like, he was the one who was like, mom, what if I don't know where I want to go to college? Or what if I what if I get a degree and I don't use it? And I'm like, well, you'll be like everybody else in the world, so you'll be fine. Uh, but he's been my nervous Nelly. He's always been really nervous. And I'm standing outside of his dorm, giving him this amazing hug, this amazing moment that we've thought about, you know, since the moment he was conceived. I've thought about that particular moment his whole life, my whole life. and. uh I hug him and he looks at me and he goes, mom, I'm ready. And he turns and he walks into his dorm and he doesn't look back. And to me, it was like, oh my gosh, that's what motherhood's about, right? Giving your kids the independence and the autonomy to feel like they can go and be who they are designed to be. So um, I just want to say that because I know we have a lot of moms listening today if I could bottle up the feeling I had in that very moment and hand it to you right now, I would. So all of the work that you're putting in all of the, you know, tough times and the struggles and all the modeling that you're doing for your own children, it pays off. So I just want you to know that it does pay off. (laughs) It's just hard sometimes when you're in the midst of it all to see it.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's such a good perspective because, you know, my oldest is four, right? I'm in a completely different season and to be able to think about, okay, There are points of motherhood where you're like, oh, this is for me, right? Like, I love being a mom. And then there's that other reality that really your job is to help raise a functioning adult. And your job is really to lead them to be the best version of themselves when they do turn around and say, I'm ready. And they step into that. And I hope you've given yourself some, like, pride and, like, congratulations and celebration for getting to that point. Like, gosh, what an achievement but it doesn't ever really end, right? It just transitions and changes and now it's a whole new level of new identifying what it means to be mom. So how is that feeling right now?
0: Yeah, you're I mean, you're right. That's the thing is, first of all, you know, when they're young, you're fully parenting. And then they start to get a little older and then you're kind of coaching and mentoring, especially when they're in high school because it's up to them to make the big decisions. You're not with them most of the day. And they have to make all these big decisions. So, you know, I remember when when my son Jack was in high school and my sister, her kids were in elementary school at the time. And I would say, oh, I just need him to buy in on this idea or I want him to get on board with this. And she's like, just tell him what he needs to do. And I'm like, no, no, no. When they're in high school, you are advising them. You're mentoring them because you need them to buy in they're the one who's ultimately making these big decisions. They're the ones who, when somebody offers them drugs or alcohol, or they, they see somebody they like and they wanna go on a date, or, they're the ones making these decisions. And it's our jobs as moms to start off with very hands-on and then very slowly as they get older and as they become more independent, kind of taking our hands off and letting them drive the car, right? Let, let them be in charge. So now with my son, it's funny because he's finishing up his sophomore year of college. He and I meet regularly. We talk on the phone as mom and son, but we also have calls on Fridays that we call accountability calls where I call and it's not a social call. It's okay. How are you doing? How's your goals? What are you working on here? All right. Do you have this project management done? You know, are you mapping this out for yourself? How are you doing socially? Are you getting enough sleep? And it's really very much a coaching call. So it's very different. And we treat that whole interaction very differently. And then we have other calls during the week where I'm his mom and I'm like, tell me what's going on. Are there any cute girls? And, you know, those kinds of fun things. But, you know, right now that's part of my job is to provide that scaffolding because I want him to feel safe and secure and to feel really confident in his own skin. And if I could do that as a mom, I've done my job.
1: Yeah. How cool that you're helping him in really both of those hats because some kids and maybe even some moms listening didn't have either, right? They didn't have either. And then sometimes we sit in one hat or the other, like you're just coaching and you're missing that mom layer or you're just momming and you're not having that mentor or coach layer. So like, again, kudos for you for doing both. It does remind me, though, of how important this is, like as he's truly stepping into like the actual adulting of life, how it is to help him ad- identify what adulting means to him, right? We so often look back and I know being in that season of my life when I was in college, I was like, what do I want my life to look like? What do I want adulting to look like? And it's hard because so often we do do things that we may be looking back. I'm sure what you went to college for or what your years looked like in that same season are very different than what you're doing now. But there's some things that debatably we take on for character building or experience or whatever else. And then we find ourselves as moms or adults looking back and saying, okay, I'm filling my calendar. I know you talk about this a lot. I'm filling my calendar, but am I filling my soul? And so let's talk about this from two perspectives. One of sitting in the mom role and being like, wow, I found myself growing up, adulting, coming into motherhood in this way. And now I'm looking back and saying, how did I get here? And then in the second layer of how am I going to do it differently for my kids? How am I going to help them not ask these same questions at here?
0: Yeah, I I think I think for all of us, quite frankly, a lot of times we look back and we're like, wait, how how did this happen? (laughs) How How did I get here? And I truly do believe it's the twists and the turns and the detours of life that get us where we're meant to go. And this is the thing too, when we're talking about goals, which I know we're going to get into in a little bit. This is why we don't want to make our goals too rigid, because a lot of times, when we're looking at the timeline of our life, we just get this small picture of where we are right now and where we've been. We can't we don't have the ability to zoom out and see where it is really we were designed to go, where, where our, you know we're going to evolve into. And it's the same with our kids, I think, as well. It's such a mistake for us to feel like you go to college, you're 18 years old, you got to figure it out. You got to figure out what you're going to do for a job. I mean, who knows what they want to be when they're 18? Who knows what they want to be when they're 45 sometimes? It's okay, the the not knowing and allowing yourself to, to have those twists and turns. I think that's why, you know, whether we're talking about goals or just, you know, regular check-ins. I think reflection is such an important part of the process. Stopping and checking in and saying, hey, wait, where am I? (laughs) Do I like where I am? Do I want to go somewhere different or do I want to stay on the path I'm on? A lot of times we're on that highway of life and we're going like 80 miles an hour. Speed limit 65, but we're going 80, right? And you know, a lot of times we're not seeing all the other things on the side of the road. And sometimes all of a sudden we stop and when we do this, I call it the three A's. We want to acknowledge, we want to assess, and we want to adjust. When you stop and you just do a check-in, acknowledging where you are, you're like, wait, I'm I'm not on the highway where I thought I was going to be. And you're on this very different route. Sometimes when you stop and you do that second A, when you assess, you go, wow, I really like this road I'm on right now. I had no, look at the views. I was on that highway before and over here, there's all these things I can do things I didn't even know were possible. And that's why we need that third A, which is adjust. Okay, do I want to adjust to get back on the highway or do I want to adjust my goals? Do I want to adjust where I think I want to go now because I like where this is? And I think this is true time and time again. If you look back at the breadcrumbs of your life, a lot of times the places where you've gotten, you had no intention of being there. I know that when I started off life, when I was 18, I thought I was going to be a teacher. Then I thought I'd get married, have kids, be a stay-at-home mom. I did not have anywhere on my, you know, vision board that I was going to be writing books and talking about productivity and doing, you know, speaking on stages and doing all of those things. That wasn't anywhere on my radar, but oh my gosh, I'm so glad that this is where I am. I'm so passionate about what I get to do on a regular basis, but it is, it's, you know, you know I was a stay-at-home mom for several years and then I made the decision to start a business, because it wasn't really, you know, where I wanted our family to be. My husband was traveling for three or four weeks at a time. He was doing international marketing. He was very unhappy with being away from the family a lot. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to start a business. I'm going to, I'm going to make our life really work for us. I started my first business with 50 bucks, literally $50. I had no website. I was selling to friends, maybe, maybe friends of friends, but that might be a stretch And, you know, that was the big time, one of the first times where I was at this fork in a road and I was like, I don't want to go back on that highway where I was. I want to change this route. And that $50 investment grew. I was able to absorb my husband's MBA income within a year. So I started making around six figures with my business, which is crazy because I had no business experience whatsoever. And, you know, that got me to where, okay, then I started that business and then I ended up closing that business and starting a second business and starting my podcast and then, you know, all of these companies started reaching out to me, all these publishers wanting me to write books. And so it's the twists and the turns that have me here where I am today. And thank goodness for the detours. I'm so happy for that.
1: And, you know, this morning I was dropping my kids off at school and we were listening to Snoop Dogg's new kids album of the affirmations. And I was listening to my son say some of the words and it really hit me how not the my parents said anything negative to me growing up, but that I believe this generation is so much more thoughtful about putting positive words into ourselves and to our children. And I think that's probably why your son was saying like, hey, I'm ready. He's seen you build this business. He's seen you pour into yourself. I can imagine starting your business with $50 moving up to where you are now. You've had moments where you've really had to pour belief into yourself. You've had to be able to pick yourself back up. You've had to think about the words that you're telling yourself. Maybe you've had negative words coming in from outside areas, positive words at other times as well. But can you talk a little bit about the power of the spoken word and how that's helped you stay before we get into the strategy of how we set up our goals and all the other things? I want to talk about how we allow ourselves to pour that belief into ourselves so you know that you're capable, worthy and able to move forward.
0: Oh, it's it's so easy to not believe in ourselves. It's so easy to believe the imposter syndrome or that quiet voice in your head. Well, it's not so quiet. A lot of times the loud voice is like, who are you to do this? You don't know what you're doing. And the truth is, as we fumble our way through life, we don't know what we're doing. A lot of times it is a lot of figuring it out. So anyone who feels like they look at other people, and they're like, oh, they have it all figured out. They don't. We're all just kind of fumbling, bumbling our way around Um, But it, it is so important, the words that you use, and I talk about this a lot in my book, my second book, On Purpose, how you identify is incredibly important. You know, if you want to grow a business, let's say, for example, let's say that you are ready to really step into running a business If you're calling yourself like, oh, when people ask you, hey, what is it you're doing? You're like, well, I have this little thing or oh, well, I got this, right? You're making it smaller. And guess what? People believe you. When you tell them, I've got this small little thing, it's no surprise they're treating you like you're a hobbyist, right? Whoever it is you're wanting to be, choose to project that. People will believe you. You will believe you. That's the, the side benefit It's funny because, you know, going back to talking about my son, I was just talking to him last week and he was saying, you know, I really feel like I got to get some better morning habits. And he goes, I need more discipline. And I was like, honey, you don't need better habits or more discipline. You need a new identity. You need to really identify who you want to be. If you want to be someone, because he struggles with procrastination. That's one of his big Achilles heels is he struggles with procrastination. And he's like, I'm tired of being a procrastinator. And I said, well, stop telling yourself you're a procrastinator. Tell yourself that you're a person who gets things done. I said, all you need to do is start creating these little tiny micro habits, little tiny things that you're doing that prove to you that you're getting things done. You know, I said, you know, sitting down on Sunday and mapping out, you know, doing the whole thing. We have a whole exercise that we've done as a family where we sit down on Sundays and we map out what we're going to do for the week and and all of those things. I'm like, sit down and and make sure that you're doing that for yourself. And then make that plan, and all you have to do is once you've done one of them, think, you know what? Not, I'm not a procrastinator. I'm a person who gets things done. I said once you start doing that and you put that loop in your head, all of a sudden you start believing that. And guess what? Everyone else believes it too if that's who you choose to project yourself as. So, you know, for me with running a business, I could have very easily said, who am I? <laughs> I have never even taken a business course in college. <laughs> who am I to run a business? And now I run a multimillion dollar company that I started with 50 bucks, but I've chosen to identify myself as a successful businesswoman. And I've stepped into that. So being really careful with the words you use. And I think this is true, you know, when we're identifying ourselves with what we're putting in our bio. On our resume or even on social media when people ask us what we do how do you talk about what you do how do you talk about your job are you someone who says well I'm a stay-at-home mom I just stay home with the kids if you use the word just when you're describing what you're doing stop that word just is not doing you any justice okay if you are a stay-at-home mom you're the CEO of your family right you're this you're the CEO of the house you're running all the things, that is, that's a big job. If you are working part-time, don't say, oh, I'm just working part-time. Step into that, own it. How do you want to describe it? Because people will start to describe you that way and the next thing you know, that identity is stuck. So it's really important to be really mindful with the words we're using, not just with our kids, that's obviously very important, but be gentle with yourself. Really think about, would I say this to my kids? If I heard my kids saying to themselves what I am saying to myself, would I be okay with that? Or would I pull them aside and say, honey, uh uh-uh, we don't talk like that. I want you to really think about that because so often we don't think twice about the ugly things that we say to ourselves. We say a lot of ugly things we would never say out loud to people that we love, even people we don't love. (laughs) We wouldn't talk that way. We don't think twice about using those words for ourselves. Gosh, so many
1: takeaways and so good. And specifically that reframe of not saying I'm not this, but I am this to say like, I am, I'm not a procrastinator anymore, but I'm the person that gets this done or I'm not a business person. Oh, I am someone that is going to follow my dreams and create this business and whatever else that looks like. I just absolutely love that reframe. I think that knowing in your head, you want to shift that there's going to be so many examples that come up, like as you do that. And I think that one thing that helps this is when you kind of have a track of where you're going. So when you start thinking, okay, I'm going to talk positively about myself, I'm gonna not just fill my calendar, I'm going to fill my soul, like we've talked about so far. But you're like, okay, but also like, you know where am i going and you have a term called cathedral thinking why don't you walk us through that and how that can help you know kind of your path
0: yeah well here's the thing you know if we don't know where we're going it's like getting in the car and saying well we're just going to see where we end up <laughs> like on your family vacation you wouldn't do that right you say okay hey this is what we're going to do we're going to go to Harry Potter world and we're going to we're going to put that into the GPS and it's going to help us make sure that we make it to where we want to go it's the same thing in life. We, we hop in our car of life and we're like, I don't know where I'm going, but hopefully I end up somewhere good. And chances are you're not, if you're not sure where you're going. So I love using this term cathedral thinking because it's based off the concept and the idea that in the 1100s, in the 1200s, you know, thousands of years ago, the city architects, the planners, the builders, the, the artisans, they decided they wanted to build these beautiful cathedrals. And these cathedrals have stood the test of time, right? Think about the Duomo in, um, in Florence, or think about Notre Dame, or think about these beautiful, these beautiful cathedrals. What's amazing is the day they broke ground on those cathedrals, those city architects, the planners, the artists, they knew they weren't going to see that cathedral finished. The Duomo in, in Florence took five 600 years to build, but it's legacy work. And that's really what I want you to start thinking about is, where is it I want to go? And by having a cathedral, or what I call a bright, beautiful future out ahead of you, that acts as your landmark. That tells you, this is where I want to go. So what we do is we create these cathedrals for ourselves of, where is it I want to go? What do I think is important to me that I want to be at in the next 10 years or the next 20 years? And I'm not just talking about maybe in business or how much weight you're, you you gained or all those things. I'm thinking you have cathedrals in lots of different areas of your life, in your relationships, in your emotional state. Um, where do you want to be physically with your body? Where do you want to be financially? Where do you want to be 10, 20 years down the road? And then we can use that as our landmark to move towards and we can start a process that I like to call wayfinding. So we can actually make progress to get to that big, bright, beautiful future we dream about.
1: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the way wayfinding in the discovery process, because some people are like, yeah, I know what my cathedral and my relationship or my cathedral as me as a human or as a mom, I know what that looks like. And I, you're right, I'm gonna create this you know, process to get there. And other people are like, I don't know. I just know that I don't like where I'm at. So how do you go from not knowing where you wanna go to getting to that cathedral vision?
0: Yeah, well, let's start by talking about how do you figure out what your cathedral is, right? Because it can be really daunting if you're thinking, I have no idea. And if you feel like you don't have an idea, you are not alone. And that is okay. (laughs) A lot of people feel like they're unsure. So I like to tell people, if you want to figure out where you want to go, we got to start by looking back. Look at your past when you were a kid, before you started adulting before you started worrying about the rent or the mortgage, or even before you started worrying about what other people think. So even before the age of like 13, 14, who were you? What were the things you were passionate about? What were the the tasks and the activities and the the projects? What were the things you got really fired up about? Not the things that your mom drugged you to, right? Where you're like, ah, I don't wanna play piano. What were the things that you got really fired up about? Like, let's let's say it was soccer, okay? You loved playing soccer. We can agree your cathedral today is not that you're going to be a professional soccer player. But ask the question, why? Why did I want to be a soccer player? Why did I love soccer? Was it the team aspect? Was it moving your body? Was it being outside? What were the things that you really loved? Start to gather some of these little things that you used to enjoy and ask yourself, why did I like them? Same thing with what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, a lot of us had these amazing ideas of what we wanted to be when we grew up. Well, I want to be the president, or I want to be, you know, this, that, or I want to be an alien, or I want to be Wonder Woman. Okay, why did you want to be Wonder Woman? Was it because she stood for truth and justice? Was it because she inspired a whole generation of young girls? What was it about that career that really appealed to you and start gathering together these little scraps, these little whys. Oh, I love this because of this. And as you start to bring them together, you'll see these patterns emerging. And then you'll start to say, oh, this is tied to what I really love. This is who I am at the heart of me. So our purpose is very often hidden in our past. So that's, that's where we can start figuring out where that cathedral is. Um, but then it becomes, all right, that cathedral is really far away. 10 20 years down the road that's like i am here and there's this giant grand canyon of where it is i want to go that's really far and that can feel very daunting and that's really when imposter syndrome comes in because it's like who am i to think i could possibly do this so we use a process called wayfinding so if we think okay if you think imagine like think about when you're in second grade and you're making a timeline and you have a little dot that says you are here and there's a line and it's like where you wanna go, right? So all the way there at the end is our cathedral. That's your potential, where you think you wanna go 10, 20 years down the road. That's really far. So let's bring our dots a little closer. Let's make the timeline a little bit closer. If that's our potential in 10 to 20 years, what do I think is possible in three to five years on that timeline that gets me to that cathedral? Okay. Well, that that's possible in three to five years, let's back it up even more. We have our potential, 10 to 20 years. Then what's what do we think is possible? And then what's practical on that timeline in 12 months, 18 months, what could I do practically that would get me along along that timeline to that big, bright, beautiful cathedral? All right, see how we're getting closer? That cathedral is starting to get a lot closer and we begin to create that path. All right, well, if that's what's practical in the next 12 to 18 months, what do I need to prioritize? What do I need to prioritize in the next three months, the next six months, the next nine months? Those priorities, those are your goals. Those are the goals you want to set for yourself. So often we set goals based off what everybody else is doing. Ah, this woman over here, she's doing amazing things. I should do more of that. Or, oh, this woman's running this company and I want to do things like this. I'm going to do things like her. And we lose sight of who we are. If you have that cathedral and you use this exercise of wayfinding, where you look at the potential, back it up to what's possible, then what's practical, then we prioritize, then we know our goals are aligned to where it is we want to go. And that's what's amazing is then we accomplish these goals and we have all this momentum to keep moving forward along that timeline of our life of where it is we want to go. That's how we end up at that big, bright, beautiful cathedral.
1: Yeah. And so one of the biggest things that stops people from success is losing focus, right? And losing that momentum. And I think that this happens a lot with someone that identifies as like a multi-passionate person. So it's really hard to stay focused when you're like, but I also want to do all these things. And what if I want to have 10 timelines instead of one? And I know you talk about unraveling the myth of the multi-passionate person. So let's break that down a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, I think a lot of times when we use that term multi-passionate, we're hiding. We're using that as an excuse. I can't commit because I have too many things I I love. I mean, the truth is, if we were to search every corner of the earth, we were to go far and wide, you would never find a person who's like, one thing, only love one thing, right? We're all multi-passionate. We all have lots of things that we love. So first of all, you're going to have more than one cathedral because there's more than just one facet of you. So you might have a cathedral that's tied to where you want to go with work. You might have a cathedral about where you want to be physically. Like one of my cathedrals is that I want to be flexible and strong in my golden years, right? You might have cathedrals with your relationships. What my cathedral for my relationships is I want to have really strong relationships with my kids and their families so that we can go traveling together, right? So all the things I'm doing now are to get to that cathedral with those relationships or where I wanna be physically. So you're gonna have more than one cathedral, but if you hide behind that term of multi-passionate, it can keep us from moving forward, especially if you're thinking, well, I'd love to do this thing, but I have, I have all these things I want to do. What I usually tell people is, all right, have you listed them out? Because a lot of times it's just a list in your head, right? That's just, you know, you're know you not even sure which direction to go and you feel like it's spinning you in circles. So let's, let's start by making a list and you write out all these different things. Don't worry about ranking them, just list them out. And then we wanna do three columns. I call this the PI activity. PI, P-I-E. First P is powers. Okay, on a scale of one to 10, how does, you know, you go through the task list, right? Of all these things you're passionate about. How does this first one, how does that fit into your powers? Is it something that you feel is a gift? Is it something that's easy for you to do? Do you feel like it's something you get really, you know, that you love doing because It's one of the things that you're really good at. Give it a score of one to 10 and go through that list, go through each of those items you wrote down and give it a power score from one to 10. Then we go to the next column, I, impact. Okay, on a scale of one to 10, how much of an impact will this make in my life, in my family's life, in the world? How much of a difference is this going to make? And give it a score, one to 10. So, okay, so, so far we have a P, powers, I, impact, and then we have a third column, the E, excitement. How excited are you about this? Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should do it, right? Because there's lots of things that we're good at that we're not really passionate about. So let's let's see, how excited are you about this? So give it a score, again, one to 10, right? How excited am I about each one of these things I listed out? So now we've given everything a score. All you have to do is add your, your powers, your impact and your excitement And the high score would be 30, right? Low score would be zero. (laughs) So now we can start to rank all of these. Each one of these has a score and you can start to rank them and say, these are the things I really do get excited about that fits into my gifts that I think is gonna make a difference in my world and the world of other people as well. And we can start to get really clear. Oh, I thought I really wanted to do this, but I'm not even that excited about it. Or this is not something I'm really good at. So then we can start taking those things off that list and get really clear about what's at that top. What is it we really want to do? And that's how we stop identifying as multi-passionate. And we start identifying as we want to be. Ooh, you know what I want to be? I figured out I want to be a caterer. I love cooking. I get really excited about it. I love interacting with other people, right? And that's, that's really what we want to do. We want to get really clear about where it is we want to go
1: gosh i love that acronym that is so good powers impact and excitement and it kind of brings me back to when we're talking about the affirmations and the power that you speak into yourself and those words that you can always come back to that because when you hit that challenging spot in whichever you pick to go towards you can be like oh yeah i do have the power here i do have the impact in this this is why i'm doing it this is why i was originally excited going back to that because there's going to be down days in whatever you pursue and you can come back and be like what is my pie and i, I actually love this place on like go get a slice of pie like go like look at your slice of pie of like why you picked that in the first place and come back to it but I think one thing that people also get a challenge with is when you have this long-term goal this cathedral that you're working towards and you're wayfinding and you know which way you're going but how do you also live in the moment while pursuing that farther out vision what do you what do you do for in the moment while working towards that cathedral and staying present. And especially when you have kids, right? And you want to stay in love with whatever you're pursuing in your life. You know, this is so much of what you speak about of like really being present and filling your soul. So how is that like more executed than just like a thoughtful, you know, comment to be present and thoughtful?
0: It is so hard sometimes to feel like you're, you're present because there's so many things pulling our attention, but we really want to be, awake in our own lives instead of just kind of fumbling through or going through doing going through the motions. So one of the things you can really do, first of all, is by doing an activity like that pie activity, we can take some of those things off of our list. Once we realize, you know what, this score is not very high. I'm taking that off my list. That gives us the ability to focus in more, right? We want to focus in on fewer things. It's about going deep. And it's about You know, if we think, if we can pair it to a pool, we don't want to go shallow in life. We want to dive deep. And if you're trying to do too many things, you're spreading yourself thin, it's really easy to feel very scattered instead of feeling very present. So I think it's really important, first of all, to recognize when you're not present. And I think we can all very easily say our phones are one of the things that keep me from being present. So I am really a big advocate for, I will leave my phone in the other room. I have a time of, my, of the day, especially when the kids are getting back from school or they're in the car. I call them million dollar minutes. We have these little slivers of time in our day that they feel innocuous. They feel like they're just simple moments. Your kid gets in the car and they're chatting about your day. But if that moment was gone tomorrow, you would pay a million bucks to get it back, right? And often we let that just slip through because we're not being fully present. So when my kids are getting in the car after carpool, I don't do carpool anymore, but when they were, I would very intentionally take my phone and put it in the console. So it is out of sight, out of mind. I am not tempted to look at it. I won't hear it beep. I turn it off because I wanna be 100% present. Anyone with kids who are especially in middle school or high school, they know most of the big conversations happen while the kid's in the back seat, where you kind of are making eye contact in the rearview mirror, but not quite. That's such a pivotal time. And if you're distracted by your the beeps and the, the pips of your phone, you're missing that million-dollar minute. So live in it. And being present means being focused with all your senses, being focused in on What are you feeling? What are you smelling? What are you seeing? What are all of those senses? So if you sometimes feel a little untethered or you're not really being present, stop and just do a quick check in with your five senses. All right, what do I taste? What do I smell? What do I see? What do I feel? Right? What do I hear? And that immediately will ground you so that you're there in the moment. And just really choosing. I think this is the thing that we lose sight of. That we have the power of choice and we get to choose every single day how our day goes. A lot of times we feel like we don't have choices. Oh, I have no control over my calendar. Well, who does if it's not you? You get to choose. You get to choose to put the phone away. You get to choose to set the book down when your kid walks in the room. You get to choose to stop chopping the vegetables and stop and make eye contact with your kid when they come in to tell you something that happened that you can tell is important to them. I'm not saying that we have to stop as soon as our kids walk in the room by any stretch, but there are moments where we can tell that something important is happening. They're imparting something that's key or pivotal or something they've been thinking about by really signaling that to our kids that you have my full attention. And I say kids, but I think this is true for spouses. I think it's true for our friends and our family members. Showing people that they have our full attention is such a gift. It really is, especially in today's world where you give people your full attention and they really appreciate it, right? We all know when we're talking to a friend and we're on the phone with them and you can tell they're scrolling because they're not quite responding as quickly (laughs) or they're just like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? We don't wanna do that to the people that we love. So being really mindful and paying attention to who it is you wanna be and how you wanna show up. I'm not saying you don't have to have your phone with you. You can have your phone with you. You can you know, do all the things you want to do. It's just being mindful and choosing, okay, you know what? I know from 3 o'clock to 3.30, that's a key time for my kids to be home. That's a phone-free time for me. Or that's a time where I'm definitely going to not have the TV on and tell the kids, no TV during this time because this is our interaction time. So just kind of creating these boundaries for ourselves can be really helpful in creating that presence.
1: Yeah. I love that Million Dollar Minutes concept and really thinking back to that. And so many times you hear people at the end of their days, that's what they call back is those little moments and those little minutes. And if we can start living now with those rather than reflecting on them in the future, then that is like super powerful. And another thing that I thought of when you were talking about this is also being fully present with yourself. Because We so often when we have our time, we're also like multitasking and doing a million other things. And if you could give yourself that own undivided time, that's something I definitely practice and practice by try to get better all the time. Not that I'm an expert by any means. And so I think that that's really important too. Like you said, it's not just your kids and giving them your presence or your partner, but you and anyone that you truly care about. And you've really taken this another step with going off of social media. And that is really great. You know, I always say there's a lot of good that is on social media. I don't like to hate on it 100%. But there's also a lot of bad and there is a lot of distraction. And so I'd love for you to just kind of bring us up to what made you make that decision and how it's impacted you personally and professionally. And as a mom with kids where social media is a part of their life, they're older.
0: Yeah. Well, it was it, it was a very intentional decision because I did feel like being on social media made me less present. And a lot of times with my friends, even when they would share something on social media, I wasn't even reading the full captions. So I wasn't diving deep with them. I was going shallow and I made the decision. I wanted to go deep with the relationships in my life. And I wanted to go deep with myself. I wanted to really spend time where I felt like it mattered most. So that was one aspect of it. I knew that I didn't like who I was when I was scrolling. So that was the first recognition that I had where it was like, I don't like the way I feel or the way that I self-talk when I'm scrolling. I would find that I didn't enjoy being on social media, but I also would go through and I'd be like, oh, I should be posting more. I should be doing more. And should for me is a red flag word. Whenever I say I should or I have to, I always stop and go, okay, hold on a second. Who says, right? Why am I feeling this way? Because that's telling me I'm leaning into other people's rules or the other ways that other people are living and not really being aligned to myself. So I know automatically as soon as I say should that I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask myself, "Oop, why did I say that? Right. But I was doing that on a regular basis, just scrolling through mindlessly, looking at my phone, feeling bad about myself. And then I started to really dive into a lot of the research about what it does for our kids and and how it affects especially our young girls with, you know, a lot of the algorithms, how it's feeding them different things about dieting and weight loss and how it's causing all these problems and causing a lot of social anxiety. And I just felt like, you know, as someone who has a platform where I tell people, hey, come meet me over here, that's me endorsing that platform. That's me saying, you should totally come over here and meet me over here on Facebook. If I don't agree with what Facebook is doing and if I don't like the way that they are running their business or the way that they're marketing to our young kids, why am I endorsing them? I felt like that was just an, an unalignment in my life and I'm really determined to live my life aligned where everything feels really good. Um, so, so, you know, I decided that I didn't want to tell people to meet me over there because that was me endorsing it. So I made the decision to leave social media being Facebook and and Instagram, and it was amazing how much more present I was. And truthfully, I took the time that I used to scroll and I started texting my friends, Hey, what are you up to? And having real conversations, or I would Voxer them. Voxer is one of my favorite things because you leave voice messages for each other and you leave these messages back and forth. And I noticed that I started having better, stronger relationships, not just with my kids, but also with the people in my world. Because I wasn't going shallow, I was going deeper. And for me as a business owner, it was a very scary thing to do. People were like, are you crazy? Like everybody's on social media. You have to be on social media. If you have a business and you're not on social media, people are going to think you're not, not even here. And I was like, well, is that true? Because I have a podcast that I'm, I'm now on episode like t- almost 300 of my podcast. I'm regularly putting out a podcast. I regularly send out newsletters that are full of great information that helps people. So I started telling people, you know what, if you wanna meet with me, I'm over here on my podcast. That's genuinely, authentically, 100% me. I write my own emails that go out to, to my um, the people who are on, on my email list. That's where you can see me and actually connect with me. And people started to say, oh, Yeah, I'll go over to where you are because I want to meet with you authentically. And so I found that it really helped me not only be a better mother and a better person, but as a business owner, it allowed me to, again, go deep in the places where I wanted to show up and I wanted to be. Instead of trying to be everywhere, multi-passionate, I made a choice and I said, this is where I'm going to be and I'm going to be the best version of me in these fewer places. So that's it's been amazing. It is hard with having kids on social media. I do go in and I look at my kids accounts, right? Like, what's going on here? But I don't post. I don't have you know, I don't follow a bunch of people. I just basically go in and see what my kids are doing.
1: Yeah, I love that. And because you have more of that mental space and capacity because you're not involved in everyone else's social media, you're able to have this better relationship as a mom, which makes it so you don't have to be as concerned about what your kids are doing on social media because you are having better conversations and you can still check in because we know kids, you know, are a different version online sometimes. But it gives you a yeah, but it gives you a way to kind of have that and um, from just a like business standpoint and strategy standpoint, you don't, you know, in the business world, we talk a lot about not owning your audience on social media. Like your account can get shut down overnight. You don't have really like contact information about these people. You don't own your audience, and you, um, for those that aren't in the business world, your followers actually see a super small percentage of your content. So I think it's like ten percent of your followers see your content, and the algorithm really controls what they see. Where if someone's on your email list, they're getting your email, like your email is not blocking that email for the most part. (laughs) And There's a couple exceptions. And then same with your podcast. So for anyone that's thinking about starting a business, and they're like, gosh, I just don't want to be on social media. Sure, there's some benefits. But there's also a lot of negatives. And yeah, you pour a lot of time and energy into creating content that only a percentage is seeing. And at the end of the day, you don't own your audience. So I think it's amazing that you've made that transition. I think that's really great.
0: Thank you. Well, again, it, it comes down to alignment is really important to me. And I did feel like I was bending and twisting and contorting myself to fit what an algorithm wants. And nobody really knows what the algorithm wants. So you're bending and twisting for some kind of, you know, entity that that, again, I didn't necessarily agree with their morals and their ethics and their values. And it's really important to me that I go to bed at night. I call it reconciling the receipts. When I go to bed at night and my head hits the pillow, I have to reconcile the receipts of who I was throughout the day. What I did, how I showed up, and if those receipts don't reconcile, then I'm not going to be able to go to sleep. I'm still going to be awake. I'm going to be like, "Oh, I should have done this or I should have done that." I want to make sure every night when I go to bed and my head hits the pillow, I go, "I was me today. I showed up 100% authentically." who I am. I think one of the greatest things is when people meet me in person, they're like, oh my gosh, you are exactly the same person. And I'm like, yes, I am. That's because I want to be me. I I like me. I want to be who I am online and behind the scenes and with my friends. And you get the genuine authentic me that way. I'm not shifting who I am to fit what other people want.
1: Yeah. I love that. I stand behind that, too. That actually is a really great transition, though, because we're not always perfect, right? There's going to be days where when we reconcile those receipts, we're like, "Eh, maybe could have done that one different, could have done this a little differently. It's a learning for next time. But something that I love you talk about is turning those learnings or negative situations or bad memories into fuel and positive memories and positive situations. Let's talk a little bit about that. How do you do that? How do you make that transition?
0: Yeah, well, I think, first of all, we have this whole fear of failure, and we talk about failure a lot in our society. When What would it be like if we chose to embrace failure? If we chose to say, hey, failure is part of the process. It's an expectation. I'm actually wanting to fail so I can learn. So what would that be like if we chose to see that as an advantage? I think if you go back and you look at anyone who we are inspired by, we see these little failures in their history. And we love that about them. We love the story of the underdog, unless we're the underdog. And then we worry that we're not doing things right or we're not good enough. And the truth is, none of us are perfect. We're not designed to be perfect and it's okay. Sometimes you're gonna to go to bed at night and you're gonna reconcile the receipts and they're not gonna add up. And you're gonna think, oh, I wish I had done something differently. That's okay because when we fail, We learn. We know that. We tell our kids this. This is the same advice we tell our children. It's okay to fail. I mean, think about if when our kids failed, we just said, well, I guess that's it. I mean, when your kids started walking, they didn't walk right away. They fell down 50,000 times. And yet we kept encouraging them, like, get back up. You can do it. When they rode their bike, they fell over. They fell over. They fell over. And we kept saying, okay, I'm going to run behind you. I'm going to hold you from behind. And then I'm going to let go. So we know that that is true, that failure makes us stronger and that eventually we'll overcome it. We just have a hard time internalizing that in our own stories a lot of times. And it's hard if you feel like you're stuck in a cycle where you feel like you're just failing again and again. But the truth is, if you stop and you look over the breadcrumbs of your life, you're going to see all these little mini failures and big failures and things that didn't go well and times where you know you're you're not really proud of the things you did and maybe you feel a little bit of guilt or a little bit of shame but you're also going to see these these uh, peaks you know there's some valleys in your life map but there's also some peaks after you had some things you didn't really like there were some things you loved and some things you did really well so we're never stuck i think that's the that's the mis, you know that's the belief that a lot of people have that the opposite of stuck is unstuck that there's this like magical moment the clouds part and suddenly you're unstuck the opposite of stuck is action Tiny action, little action, just doing something small to get you moving in the right direction. You fall off the bike, you get back on, right? Doesn't mean you're going to take the training wheels off right away. You're going to have somebody running behind you for a while maybe, but you get back on that bike. You take action instead of just saying, well, I fell down and I guess that's just how it is. We get back up and we try again, just like we do with our kids.
1: Yeah. But so often I hear in myself as much as I hear in the women in our community, they're like, yeah, but – and I think that but usually comes from this fear, right? So they can be like, okay, well, there's going to be this failure – But also, I'm just like fearful. I'm fearful of this failure. And, you know, if we, you're saying basically don't see failure as the enemy. Like, it's okay to fail. Like, failure is inevitable for your growth and for your success. And we talk about that a lot here. But I know you also talk about like not seeing fear as the enemy, that removing fearless from your vocabulary as you say it. So, talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. I I think too, it kind of goes with, like you said, this idea of failure is we feel like we're supposed to be fearless that we're supposed to just step in with this confidence and be ready to go. And the truth is, fear is amazing. Fear is so good. If we get rid of fear, we're going to lean too far over when we're looking at the Grand Canyon, or we're going to jump off the roof when we're putting on the Christmas lights and not use the ladder. Fear is really important to our survival. And oftentimes, that feeling of fear manifests in like, oh, a little bit of like a lightness in your stomach or some sweaty palms or a little bit of shortness of breath which is exactly the same as it feels when you're excited, right? When you're at the top of a roller coaster and you get that light feeling in your stomach and a little bit of sweaty palms and a little shortness of breath, what if we chose to say, you know what? It isn't fear, this is excitement. This is me getting ready to do something new. Because when we step out of our comfort zone, there's gonna be discomfort. There's a reason why it's called comfort zone (laughs) because it's comfortable. It's like sweatpants and Netflix, it's easy. Stepping out of that comfort zone means discomfort, which means fear, which means it's going to feel uncomfortable. In fact, one, of, one year, my word of the year was discomfort because I knew I wanted to grow and I knew that when I was stepping out of what was comfortable and I felt that discomfort, I wanted to remind myself, oh yeah, I chose this. Ah, this was me choosing this to step out of that. So you're going to experience fear and fear is okay. Let's focus, instead of being fearless, let's focus on being brave, looking at fear and choosing to step past it. That's what firefighters do, right? That's what soldiers do. They're not fearless. They're brave. And there is a very big difference between the two. And I think a lot of times when we have that fear, that feeling of nervousness, maybe in our stomach or in our shoulders or wherever it's appearing in your body, we feel like that's a sign. Ah, it's a sign I shouldn't do this when maybe it's a sign that your roller coaster is about to go down and that's the most exciting part. So just reframing how we look at that and embracing fear. I know for me that when I have embraced fear and I've chosen to make fear my friend, those are the times where I've experienced the most growth. That's when I have seen the biggest shifts in my trajectory, the biggest leaps in where it is I want to go. But you have to choose to be friends with fear and to look at it look it in the eye and say, you know what, what's the worst case? I mean, that this is a good exercise to do. What's the worst that can happen? When we have fear and we think to ourselves, what's the worst that's going to happen? Then we ask ourselves, is that really the worst? Like, okay, so let's, let's go back to like, you know, the idea of starting your own business. You think to yourself, well, if What if I do this and it fails? What if it doesn't happen? We could end up homeless. We would be on the streets. It would be terrible. We won't have any money. That's where we go. Is that true? Is that really true? I mean, are you not going to be able to maybe move in with your parents or a friend or you'd figure something out, right? You have other skills you could use. Now, you know, sleeping on your parents' couch, not ideal, but it's also not the end of the world. So let's really make sure that we're not letting the monsters run wild in the hallways of our, of our brain, because that's what we tend to do. We go straight to that. We're going to be homeless. We're going to be living in our car under a bridge kind of a thing, when the truth is that's not really going to happen. You're not going to let that happen. If things start going south with the business, you're going to pivot. You're going to shift. You're going to change things. And if you do run out of money, I guarantee you have a network of people who are going to be there to help pick you back up. And that's, that's not a terrible thing. At all.
1: Yeah. I love when people give the analogy of, okay, worst case scenarios going back to what you're doing right now. Like in reality, like if you're like, oh, I want to leave my job and do this. Okay. Well, worst case scenario, you go back to what you're doing. <laughs> worst case scenario, you go back to what you're doing. So giving yourself the option to move forward, you know. I could talk to you for hours. We haven't even tapped into so many of the strategies that you have for your goal frameworks. We're going to have to have you come back and do a part two. But exactly what we're talking about right here is really living on purpose to choosing how you live and what your life looks like. And you have your new book on purpose. Before we end here today, I want to make sure that we give that some time because I looked through the preview and I read the free chapter and all of that it is amazing. So I'd love for you to just give our audience a little bit more of what they can tap into, where they can find it, and who would really benefit from reading this other than everyone, because living on purpose is important for everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's it's a book. It is a book for everyone. It's, you know, the name of the book is On Purpose, The Busy Woman's Guide to an Extraordinary Life of Meaning and Success, because I really do believe every single one of us is designed for an extraordinary life. I think it is stopping and choosing. And I think so often we feel like we're so busy or we have so much going on that that's just not possible. And the truth is, it is. I can tell you that I'm a host of a podcast. I run a multi seven figure company. I'm a mom. I write books. I have time to do the things I love to do. And it's because I choose to lean into different areas of my life at different times. Right. I don't, I don't believe in balance. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, But But really what the books are about on purpose and my first book, The Joy of Missing Out, it's really embracing that power of choice, seeing the choices you have and then leaning into those choices. Where do you want to go and how do you want to get there? I think there's nothing more incredible, nothing more extraordinary, quite frankly, than living a life on purpose where you feel like the work you are doing matters. And when I say work, it doesn't mean necessarily going to a corporation or a company. It could be the work you're doing as a stay-at-home mom. It could be the work you're doing in your relationships. It could be the work that you're doing on yourself. Your work matters. And that's really what I want you to take away from my books. So I make sure that my books are very actionable. There's lots of strategies. They both have companion guides that go with them that are free so that you can take everything we talk about and actively start applying it right away. I never want you to feel like, oh, that was very exciting, but now what? I want you to feel like you have the tools to take action. So you can find my books anywhere books are sold. You could also go to tanyadalton.com and you can listen to my podcast. I talk about a lot of the same things we talked about here on my podcast. Anywhere you're listening to this podcast, if you just do a search for Tanya Dalton or The Intentional Advantage, you'll find my podcast there. Again, we have like 300, almost 300 episodes at this point.
1: Amazing. And let's talk about your other resources, because some people love the free resources, the low income or the low cost resources of the book. But then you have some really great tangible like day by day tools that people can tap into the planners, the productivity tools. Talk a little bit about those.
0: Yeah. So I am the founder of Inkwell Press. So all the things that we talk about here, especially with goal setting, I have a goal setting planner that aligns with all of this, with the way finding and figuring out your cathedrals daily planners, weekly planners. These are all tools that I used actually with my kids and my kids still use them (laughs) to this day uh, because it really was important to me that I not just talk about these things, but you have the tools to be able to actively apply them. So uh, you can go to inkwellpress.com to find links to all the different products that we offer. I also have products in Staples and Office Depot, uh, which is a lot of fun to get to see those in person as well. But inkwellpress.com is a great resource for all the things that we talked about here today and having a tool to actually be able to apply them
1: amazing and we'll link all of that in the show notes so when you're not driving or listening while you're doing dishes or whatever else it is that you're doing you can click over to those as well as your newsletter and you're also on youtube and of course your podcast we've talked about and not on social media which i absolutely love Tanya, one of the things that I love to know, especially going from that $50 investment to your business to coming up to seven figures, being in Staples, being in storefronts, having millions of downloads on your podcast. What are you excited about in this season of life? What excites you? What are some of the goals that you currently have?
0: Oh, I like this question because, you know, a lot of a lot of my my world is shifting now that my kids are older. My my daughter works, so she goes to school and she she works part-time as well. So I have a lot of my, I say that John and I, my husband and I, we're practice empty nesting. We're practicing spending time together, making dinners for two and kind of revisiting who we were before we had kids, which has been amazing. So for me, really pouring more time into that and my podcast, I just moved it over to YouTube. So we're doing a video version of it. So that's been one of my big goals. And i'm doing I'm really leaning into more speaking opportunities, speaking at companies and corporations and organizations. so that's really some of the big goals that I have right now that I'm really leaning into, as well as of course continuing to mentor slash parent my children and get them off on the right foot in their own lives.
1: Oh my goodness, I love that like I said, we will do a part two where we come back to all of your goal frameworks and how you have it stacked and so much more so Please leave a review. Let us know what your takeaway was. Send Tanya a message on her email because you're not going to find her on social and let her know, let me know what you want to hear next time. But Tanya, thank you so much for your time today. So many good takeaways. Really appreciate seeing you as a inspiration from the mother standpoint, businesswoman and just life and like truly living on purpose. You're doing exactly what you're living out to teach others. So thank you for that.
0: Ah, thank you so much. I appreciate that
1: we'll see you guys next week. There's so much more where this came from. Take the next step and download the Mama Has Goals app or visit our web platform. Real, authentic, full, supportive community is available at your fingertips, and we can't wait to create space for you, Mama.